an 8-bit Rocket Studios production. We are twin brothers who grew up Atari, or as we call it, in the vertical blank. Technically, the vertical blank is the space between the last line of the current frame and the first line of the next, where off-screen calculations create a cathode ray tube display. It exists, literally, between the lines, invisible, yet all-seeing, in a void where magic occurs that is never seen, only experienced. It is the figurative location of our existential longing for the past, and attempts to bridge it to the present and the future. The vertical blank is an omniscient force containing the nuances that make our nostalgia a reality. It's the transcendental location that holds our best memories, biggest joys, greatest fears, and our most terrible losses. You've been warned. You can stop this tape now and turn around. For once you've entered, there may be no escape. All the scan lines have been written. It's time to enter the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank. Welcome to Into the Vertical Blank. Season 1. Episode 9. The Weird Family's Thanksgivings. In the Vertical Blank. Select. Introduction Mode. Start. Hey Steve. Hey Jeff, here we are. Where are we? We are in a storage facility that holds the last vestiges of 1541st Street, our childhood home. Yeah, this is, we moved everything in here earlier this year, and now we're sitting in the middle of it. We just did some work consolidating and moving some furniture around, and this is really, I mean, if you want to be reminded, since the house is gone, it's like if you want to be reminded of our Thanksgivings when we were a kid, this is pretty much the only place we can go right now. Didn't we have this table one time? Was this table uh, used we probably had that table. Yeah, yeah. that's... This is probably the table that, that mom served Thanksgiving on. Yes, yeah, it probably lives. was. It's interesting We're because sitting... the Thanksgivings that um, that we had at 1541st Street coincided uh, really, really, really well with video games. The, um, the Atari 800 more than the Atari 2600, but some Atari 2600 for sure. Oh, and that's right, because we spent, we did a lot of our, before that we spent most of our time at, at our granny's house. Yes. Thanksgiving, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the first Thanksgiving we had at our parents' house was uh, the Thanksgiving right before we got Atari 800. We, I'm, I'm remembering getting the Donkey Kong cartridge because no, you didn't... No, 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 no. No, no, I'm okay. not so saying you were after so you helped this is, move. Yeah, so that was, a, that was, that was, um, that was the, at, right after Christmas in 1982. So I, I was trying to say, I was trying to pinpoint the time. So we got the Donkey Kong cartridge, so it would be... Another year, another almost two years before we got the Atari 800. No, it was the next year. It was the next Christmas. Christmas of 83. Right, but that's... Which is pretty close to 84. Right, but that was Christmas of 82, which is pretty close to 83. Just a year later. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, I... It was I, not very long after. It was, it was a year later. A year later, later right. It was right. a year later. So. That sum, and that summer... Yeah, Before that is, next Thanksgiving, and this we got the fascinating conversations. Well, we got the we got the, that summer before the next Thanksgiving. We were so into what computers could do that we got the supercharger to try and play games. Oh that yeah, no, yeah, we we absolutely did that, didn't we? We got the supercharger. Um, so yeah, so this is it's weird. I, you know, we, I feel like you know we're here to get the vibes, as Dad would say, of the Thanksgiving because there's no place else to go to think about Thanksgiving when we were a kid than sitting right here in the middle of this stuff. Well, I have three distinct memories of Thanksgiving that don't 100% go along with pure retro games. That's okay. It has a little bit of gaming in there. So the first one that I can think of is exactly last year, where Mom passed away right before Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And that was right as I was starting my new job. And lots of things changed all at once. And then the other one was the Thanksgiving from 2010, 
where dad, the last one, dad was at, and he was vibrant and he was talking, and then yeah, then and just a few months that, later, it's, that's what's crazy about dementia, um, is that he went so quick. I remember all of a sudden he was laying on the kitchen floor in like January and couldn't move. Like that was right. It, it was just it was nuts going from him being pretty well at Thanksgiving and Christmas. What else? What's the, the third, third one? The third one is actually a gaming-related one, and it was another odd one because it was another dark period. It was right after Jacob had passed away, and that was that was in January. That was our son who passed away right as he was born. And then when that Thanksgiving... That was, what, 2001, 2001. 2001, to me, was the worst year ever. And oh, well, except for... It was a bad Like, year. a couple... There are, now there have been what? other years. Like, I think 2017... 2011 was terrible. 2011 too. sucked. 2017 was, was, was terrible. And 2001 was pretty bad as well. But... And so what I remember, though, is... We had a strange Thanksgiving that year. I don't remember all the circumstances, but I remember that... I had got the demo for a game called Project IGI, and it was only one level, and I had finished Half-Life, and I needed another game. And Project IGI, the demo was awesome, and I waited and waited and waited to get the full game, and I got it. It sucked. (laughs) Anyway, so that's... (laughs) Well, I remember a few Thanksgivings. One of them the story's about, which comes up. Right. Next, I don't want to. I don't really want to talk much about that one. Well, these were non non retro gaming ones. I yeah. So I have a retro too. gaming one. Well, really not. Yeah, I guess it is. You could call it retro gaming. I think it was Thanksgiving, probably 1989 or 1990, uh, playing on the Atari ST. I remember I booted up this game called Colonial Conquest. I think mm-hmm. we got it from the Sarge's BBS. Probably. And Colonial Conquest was a like kind of a, a lightweight world conquest game like risk a little bit more complicated but i remember playing that game all day long and think this is what you should do on thanksgiving you should be playing world conquest games <laughs> that kind of, kind of <laughs> makes sense doesn't it which now after after now i'm like wow that was that was pretty lame of me back then i think in um i think we i think i remember playing an entire thanksgiving with either fantasy one or fantasy two also oh yeah yeah. Here's another. Uh, so two other memories I have. One was probably 2010 as well. 2013, coming home from Zion Canyon and playing this game called Little Alchemy, which is a web game where you would you would combine these elements to make new elements. It was really was a lot like a. It was like the crafting in Minecraft, but just that's Without all it mining. was. Oh, I I I love that. I loved just sitting down and playing that game, and at work trying to devise a way that we could turn Little Alchemy into a like a board game right. or electronic game. It never happened. But speaking of board games, there was one other Thanksgiving. It was like ninety eight or ninety nine. I think it was ninety eight. It could have been like two thousand. It was when when my first kid was born. And Thanksgiving at mom's house, not on this table, but with all this stuff that's around us. Right. I had actually gone and bought some board games to populate mom's house like years before. Because I always had this dream that there would be a day when we would all sit down, our entire family, and play a board game together. One Thanksgiving around the table, there were like 12 of us. Jeannie, your wife was there. My wife was there. Our sisters were there. Dietrich was probably there, sister's husband. Everyone was there. In my mind, this is my mind's eye. And we played a great, an amazing game of Balderdash. And everybody laughed. And everybody was happy. And I was like, oh my God, this is this is how I want family to be. Like we will this is how Thanksgivings are going to be from now on. I was totally satisfied because we had played the game. And we never did it again. That was the one time it ever happened, and now there's no way for it to ever happen again. Well, that's really sad, Steve. But at least it happened once. But I'll tell you one thing. I, maybe other people had the same thing, but because after Granny went into, um, in 82, she went into Prell Gardens in Van Nuys. Van Nuys. So we would have to go pick her up and drive her to our house for Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving, and Dad would do that on Thanksgiving. We right. didn't have to go. So Thanksgiving to us was... School ran up until Wednesday, and then we had four days. Even if there was work to do, we didn't do it till Sunday night. It was basically nothing. Four days, <laughs> and um, and you know, until we got older, like in eighteen, nineteen, twenty. That's when we'd hang out with friend with friends, friends and go out well, and clubs and stuff. But this was pure Atari. I know. 
play during those either, times. either the 2600, the 7800, the ST, the 800. Yeah. The, it was always, that's what, like, remember, Thanksgiving was a time for play. Because it wasn't play. and here's the other thing, it wasn't playing new games, it was actually, actually catching up on your old, old games, games that you right. hadn't played before. Because Christmas was for new games. Christmas was the new games, right? You The, yeah, the day after Christmas and whatever the time after, was playing everything new. But Thanksgiving was for playing the stuff you didn't get a chance to play and before. And it really was the first break. Because now at schools, they... They uh, they have all these in-service days and half days and things like that. We didn't have those. We went straight. I mean, we may have had Veterans Day or I don't know. Day I don't off, think we had. Veterans but I'm just Day. thinking. No, we didn't. In my Columbus mind, on my mind, we went straight from September to Thanksgiving with no break. We probably did, but this is my mind. And yeah. then that was the break, and we were exhausted. Right. And it was just like shut out the world. Mom's making turkey. And whatever else, we didn't help at all, which I know I still feel so bad about, right? We didn't help at all. And, 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 um, now I feel so terrible. Dad didn't help at all, I'm what, sure. Just mom Just mom slaving away. Poor mom. We, we, it was almost like a Simpsons dinner when we just shoved well, I remember in, in and the 90s we realized that and started like I, I had out. to tell you that one Christmas. <laughs> but after that, I would help mom. Yeah, I know, I know. But I just meant that that's what it was pure... Atari. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe a little bit of Vetrix here, a little bit of Sega Master System here, but but there, but but, but it was mostly pure the Atari. Yeah, it's pure Atari. So anyway, we've got a couple stories coming up. First, I think is going to be yours or mine. I don't know what. We'll see what the order is. We'll, but we'll let Emily pick. But the stories this time are about specific games we remember from playing around Thanksgiving time. Yes. So Let's here it goes. Select story mode. Start. The Weird Family, 1982. It is very clear to me the first day I was considered weird by my peers at school. It was a very hot day in May 1981, and I was in the fifth grade. Our class was sitting on the blacktop, Indian style, listening to a lecture from Mr. Wood, our PE teacher, about something, maybe the finer points of Sako. My mind was wandering, as it did and does often and I noticed the heat rising from the blacktop near Peck Avenue, the street that passed our school. A little further to the south on Peck Avenue was Maricosta High School, the school my sister attended. As I watched the heat rise, I noticed a mirage. The blacktop looked like a shimmering pool of water. The only time I'd ever seen a mirage before was on a particularly harrowing episode of Speed Racer. I was excited about the mirage, and so... I pointed and said, Wow, look at that! It just so happened that at that very moment, walking down the street from Maricosta High School was my sister and her friend. My sister had fully blue hair at the time, and her friend had candy apple red hair with shaved sides. Of course, the other kids looked where I was pointing. Why they would suddenly stop ignoring me now, of all times, was beyond me. But instead of seeing the mirage I had seen, they all locked onto the girls with red and blue hair walking down the street. Whoa, no way, how weird, the kids responded. And then I made the biggest mistake a fifth grader could make. I made myself stand out. I have no idea why I said it, but it changed my life forever. That's my sister, I exclaimed. Why? Why did I say that? The other kids were stunned. Punk rockers were not a normal sight on the street in those days. In fact, this is probably the first contact many of my fellow 5th graders ever had with any kind of punk that was not in an episode of Chips or Quincy. No one said anything to me that day. However, the next day, as I was waiting outside of Mrs. Nash's classroom, a very popular girl came up to me and asked me this question. Your sister has blue hair? Uh, yeah, I responded. Your family is so weird! Set back, and that was that. The weird family was born. On the cusp of entering junior high school, I was placed firmly into the untouchable pile. My twin brother was at it for good measure because honestly, who could tell us apart? 
Well played, universe. Well played. Being the weird family took many turns in the next couple of years, but it all came to a head in the fall of 1982. One day in early November, my 17-year-old sister brought home a friend named Randy. I did not know where Randy came from, but I did know our family was different, and this was just another chapter in that saga. Then I found out that Randy would be staying with us for a while. From my room, I heard the conversation. He will not be sleeping in your room came my dad's voice. Of course not, my incredulous sister replied, as if that was the dumbest thing anyone had ever said. Both my older sisters had become Hollywood scenesters by this time in 1982. They spent many of their weeknights and all of their weekends at various clubs near and around Hollywood Boulevard and the Sunset Strip. The scene was a term I'd heard many times from them but never fully understood. Apparently, you were either part of the scene or you were not. Most of the kids who went to the local high school in Maricosta were definitely not part of the scene, and my sisters prided themselves in that fact. And there was a good reason for it. The essential brand of belonging they both craved from our modest beach city's existence cannot be found among the upwardly mobile and sometimes outwardly hostile denizens of our hometown. Being weird was the only ground we could occupy, and so that was our reality. Both of my sisters instead found their niche among the punks and post-punks who lived around the cracks of the South Bay. Nearly every night, these displaced kids, like my sisters and their friends, were called to commute to their spiritual home, the aforementioned scene in Hollywood, where they found a version of acceptance that, while it would ultimately prove to be as exclusive, vapid, and fleeting as the place they hailed from, was at least fulfilling for a short time. After several years of this, my brother and I were quite used to seeing odd-looking and interesting people around our house. Members of local bands like The Last, The Descendants, Black Flag, DC3, and Red Cross frequented our driveway and our tiny kitchen, usually in the process of picking up or dropping off one or more of my sisters. By 1982, my youngest older sister was singing back up in a hipster rockabilly band named The Blackjacks. My older, older sister was dating the guitarist from the last. That is why, when my sister brought Randy home, while it was definitely weird, it was also not really a big deal. Rather than a revolution, it was the next step in the evolution of our family, moving from a close-knit six-person unit into something else entirely. The first night of Randy's stay was a Sunday. My mom pulled out all the stops and went to McDonald's. Usually Sunday was beef stew or corned beef night in our house. But not that Sunday. My mom piled my brother and I into a car and we drove a mile or so to the local drive-thru. How long is Randy going to stay with us? I asked my mom. Until things blow over with his dad, she replied. What happened? My brother asked. I really don't know, but he's got no place to go, and it's what we're doing, my mom said in a voice that sounded like she was trying to convince herself. We didn't know exactly what Randy would like from McDonald's, so we got him the Fulton usual, a hamburger, small fries, and a Coke, just like everyone else. When we brought the food home, Randy seemed embarrassed, and at first he didn't want to eat. While we all sat around the kitchen table, he pulled the hood of his army jacket over his head to hide inside. Then at once he got up and took the food to the corner of the living room couch. In the dim evening light, sitting alone, he devoured everything. My brother and I went into our room and both picked up different video game magazines to read. We couldn't play video games because Randy was occupying the living room. We could not watch TV for the same reason. I've been pining to get back to Laser Blast on the Atari VCS. I had just figured out how to get a rhythm playing the game. My high score had jumped from 12,000 to over 40,000. I was well on my way to earning a patch from Activision. If I could just get to 100,000 points and have my mom take a photo of the TV. However, there was no way I could practice if Randy was sleeping on the couch. So that night, we were pretty much stuck inside our room with nothing to do. It was like every year before Christmas 1981 all over again. I forgot how bored I was before I had an Atari VCS. 
I quickly paged through the December 1982 issue of Electronic Games magazine. It was the Christmas issue, published in November, of course. There was a huge Santa Claus on the cover and the promise of an in-depth story about ColecoVision. The games for the new Coleco machine looked amazing. They even had Donkey Kong. I could not believe they were from a home system. However, it was not an Atari. There's no way we'd go rogue against Atari just for some pretty graphics. Still, the games for the Atari 5200 did not look half as good to me, and it was supposed to be the next gen to compete with Coleco. There were also some advertisements or something called the Arcadia Supercharger, which is supposed to turn our Atari 2600 into a next-gen console. It looked awesome. As I paged through the magazine, I made a mental list of the games I wanted for Christmas. When I reached the last page, I looked over at Jeff. He was reading the first issue of Electronic Fun, the one with a picture of E.T. on the cover holding an Atari joystick. He looked over at me from his bed. There's a weird homeless dude living in our house now, he said. Yeah, I replied. I hope he doesn't steal our Atari while we're asleep. The next morning, I woke up wondering if the Randy thing had all been a bad dream. I crept out of my room and tiptoed down the hall. When I reached the living room, I looked just to the right and saw Randy's dyed red hair under an old blanket. He was lying asleep on our couch, still wearing his green army jacket. His matching army green bag, filled with his worldly possessions, sat in the cubbyhole between his knees and the back of the couch, like he was protecting it, like he would know instantly if anyone touched it. I went to the kitchen next door and made myself some rye toast. I put it on a paper plate and walked back to the living room. Randy had not moved. It was scary to have someone sleeping on the couch that I didn't know. Across the room from him was the TV with my Atari attached. Sometimes, on early mornings like these, I could turn the sound down and switch on the VCS and go for a high score on Laser Blast. I really needed that 100,000 points. The instruction booklet for the game promised rewards for high scores. It said this, The Activision Federation of Laser Blasters. If you succeed in scoring 100,000 points or more, send us a picture of the television screen along with your name, Address, and you'll be admitted into the Activision Federation of Laser Blasters. Score the maximum one million, and all points on the screen will be replaced with exclamation marks. If you score the ultimate, please send us a photo. Such an achievement will certainly place you as one of the all-time best video game competitors. How can I practice with a stranger sleeping in the living room? I tiptoed back to my room and got dressed self-consciously. I felt weird like there was an intruder in my house. When I came out, Randy was nowhere to be found. The strains of Storm the Embassy by the Stray Cats emanated from under my sister's bedroom door. I heard he and my sister laughing and talking in low voices. What were they doing in there? At school that day, my brother and I kept very quiet about Randy. Our friends would never understand why some punk rock kid from Hollywood was staying on our couch and hanging out with my sister in a room with the door closed, listening to rockabilly. I hardly understood it myself. Plus, most of our friends were into metal, and very few, if any, had ever heard of punk or punk rock. In fact, among the kids at our school, our group was dismissively called the Meddlers. We were the requisite outcast group, noted as the lowest forms of life in the 7th grade slam book. Not everyone in the group was into heavy metal, mind you, but tracking musical nuance was not a highly valued skill among the princesses, surfers, and thugs at our junior high. But even the meddlers didn't really understand punk at all. When the Descendants, a now famous local punk band, played at our school dance that prior spring, they got booed off the stage. No one really knew what to make of them. There was little space at our junior high for differing ideas or opinions. If you were cool, you had blonde hair, played volleyball, and listened to Duran Duran. You certainly didn't obsess about video games, play Dungeons and Dragons, or align yourself with guys who like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. You were already part of the most outcast group at school. Why would we try to outcast ourselves even more 
by talking about the homeless punk kid our family had temporarily adopted. The school day ended like most days in 1982. My brother and I walked home and found my mom sitting at the kitchen table playing solitaire. Where's Randy? I asked. He went to school with your sister. She planned to tell her teachers he was her cousin. Cool! We had the living room to ourselves. I pulled out the VCS and plugged in asteroids. My brother and I took turns in a two-player game. Then we move on to missile command and then combat. After my brother was done playing, I removed the combat cartridge and inserted laser blast. I was warmed up enough to try for a hundred thousand. In my first game, I felt the zone coming on. Laser Blast was a deceptively simple game. Almost all Atari VCS games would be considered simple by today's standards, but Laser Blast was even simpler. You flew a saucer over a landscape with three enemy gun emplacements. Your job was to shoot all three and then leave the screen so you could do it all over again. If you simply played the game as advertised, you would last maybe five minutes. The point of Laser Blast was to get into the zone. It was a similar zone to the one my brother and I had observed players finding when playing Asteroids in the arcade, a place where nothing else mattered except the game in front of you. The zone in Laser Blast was a nuanced collection of hand-eye coordination, quick reflexes, and stamina. When the game started, you had pretty much the whole screen to navigate and control your vertical distance from the ground. However, as you progressed, the force field got a bit higher and higher until you could fly only at the highest level. As well, the enemy bases got more and more accurate with their shots. The key to doing well in the game was, as you entered the screen from the left side, quickly flicking your wrist while firing three times, all direct hits on the bases before exiting on the right and doing it all over again for hours and hours. While the process looked mind-numbingly boring to an outsider, it was as thrilling an adventure as you might imagine. Just as I was getting into the zone that day, I heard the screen door open. The voices of my sister and Randy wafted into the living room. I immediately got self-conscious about my plane, and the zone was shattered. Before Randy and my sister could walk the short distance from the kitchen to the living room, I shut off the VCS and fled to my room. The next morning I woke up and repeated my routine from the day before. I tiptoed down the hall and looked into the living room. This time, Randy was sitting up on the couch. I jumped back when I saw him. He saw me too, but he didn't really react at all. He was just staring at me from across the room. When he finally spoke, I was not ready for what he had to say. Hey, look at this, he said. I hesitated. What was he going to show me? A knife? A gun? Was this the final moment? The moment when the homeless kid showed his true colors and killed me and then the rest of our family? No, come here. I just saw this he said, pointing at the floor. At 6 a.m. on a Tuesday in November 1982, I had accepted my fate. A warm feeling of relief fell over me. If this was the end, then at least I'd never have to struggle with laser blast again or try to navigate Foster A. Big Middle School for another day. I tentatively stepped towards Randy and looked at where he was pointing. There was a hand coming out from under the couch. And worse, there was a mess of hair, too. Yikes! he done it! I jumped backwards. The homeless guy had killed my sister and stuffed her under the couch. I dropped my toast and began running down the hall to my room. No, wait, Randy called. I'm not sure why I did it, but something made me stop. Look, he said. I looked. He was holding up a fake rubber hand and a blonde wig. I was pranking you, he said. See? She looks like a dead hooker. I didn't know what to think. My family had never been big into pranks or practical jokes. But it was kind of funny. It didn't even really look like a dead person. 
but it was shocking because it was so out of place in our house, and it was weird. This guy I hardly even knew was in my house playing practical jokes about murdered prostitutes in my living room, right next to my Atari that he couldn't play because he was sleeping on the couch. But it was funny, and then the thought struck me. This guy, this guy with nothing, with no possessions at all, no home, no place to go, still finds the time and space to carry around a practical joke in his small green army bag? Out of limited means, it was his way of bringing people joy. Twisted, maybe. Weird, maybe. But still joy. And then I decided that I liked this guy. Put it back, I told him. You sure? Yeah, I'll go wake up my brother and we can do it to him. After that, while Randy stayed with us, I got more and more used to him being around. My brother and I ventured out more often to play Atari, and he even picked up a joystick a few times and played with us. Randy could not hack Laser Blast, but he was fairly good at asteroids once he got the hang of it. It was in those moments, and when he was planting his fake wig and hand around the house to scare people, that having Randy around felt a bit like what I imagined having a big brother would feel like. It was a feeling that I had pushed away ever since my cousin Greg was killed in a car accident in 1978. Sure, I had two big sisters, and they were pretty cool, and they did stuff with my brother and I all the time, but it wasn't the same as having a big brother. I had a twin that was four months older than me, so technically he was my big brother, but not really. In reality, I had no idea what having a big brother would really entail at all. I'd viewed it from afar. Few of my friends had big brothers. Most were either only children or had big sisters like me. I'd seen some of the more wild guys at school passing around a magazine named Big Brother, but from the looks of it, it was filled with pictures of marijuana leaves and half-naked girls. Was that what having a big brother was all about? While I imagined Randy as a big brother type, much of the time he spent with my sister in her room listening to music. They would laugh together at songs like Mean Mr. Mommy Man by Geza X, and then later disappear into the night, back to the Hollywood rockabilly scene, so far away from my own sphere of understanding. Even so, I soaked in the snatches of big brother moments that Randy provided, and for a while anyway, it felt like our lives were fuller and more interesting with him around. There were some things though that Randy just refused to do. One day when my brother and I came home from soccer practice, we asked Randy to kick the ball around with us. At first he didn't want to do it, but after a little coaxing, we got him outside. The funny thing was, he couldn't do it at all. He couldn't get his legs going the right way to kick the ball. He also tired very quickly. Then he got embarrassed and went back into the house. He never came outside with us again. Later, my sister explained it to me. He's malnourished. He's been living on the streets ever since his dad kicked him out of the house. One time, we are sitting on the couch, and Randy told us a story. I have a big brother, he said, with zero reverence in his voice. Really? I said with genuine excitement. What was it like? One time, he and his friends tied me in a sleeping bag and hung it upside down from a tree. Then they beat me with sticks. I tried to get out, but all I did was rip the inside of the bag and breathe feathers until I passed out. Suddenly, having a big brother didn't sound so great after all. Well played, universe. Well played. Randy was staying with us that year when Thanksgiving rolled around. This was supposed to be an interesting Thanksgiving because it was the last one with my granny, my dad's mom, at her house in Anaheim. She had sold her house and was planning to move to her retirement village in Van Nuys. We spent most Thanksgiving days at her house up until that point. There was no way she could cook a full Thanksgiving meal in her new place, so she decided it would be one last hurrah, one last great Fulton family Thanksgiving. However, a few days before, she called my dad and told him that she just couldn't do it. There were too many things for her to take care of before she moved. Instead, she suggested, we eat at a local buffet place called Arnold's Farmhouse. Arnold's Farmhouse was a classic buffet restaurant. Buffet restaurants, like my dad's favorite, the affable yet intestinally challenging Sir George's, were just about the only restaurants besides fast food that my father even considered going to. 
It was a good deal, you see. You could eat whatever and however much you wanted. If you don't like the turkey, hey, you could have ham. If you don't like either of those, why not just eat a plate of the pink stuff? It's all free once you paid. My mom was not convinced, but it was decided anyway. I'd like to say that the trip to Arnold's farmhouse was filled with weird foibles and funny occurrences, but it pretty much went off without incident. Of course, the punk rock trio of my sisters and Randy got some ill looks from the classic crowd at Arnold's, and of course it was really crowded, and of course the food was dreadful, but it turned out to be a pleasant family time anyway. We ate around the buffet food landmines. What is green and pink at the same time is still edible? And went for second and third of the stuff that was decent. We made fun of the food as we ate it, laughing most of the time. We talked about Granny's impending move from Anaheim to Van Nuys. We talked about missing Gramps and the upcoming garage sales she planned to get rid of the things before her move. Randy wasn't used to eating around a big table with a family, and he knocked over his water glass, breaking it. Nobody blamed him, but he was still embarrassed. Even so, I recall sitting next to Randy and watching him smile brightly almost the entire time. As if, as weird, dysfunctional, and bizarre as my family appeared to me, to him, we were exactly how life was supposed to be. We were not weird at all to Randy. To him, the weird family was perfectly normal. It was surprising then that the Sunday after Thanksgiving, Randy disappeared forever. His green army bag, his red hair, his fake hand and fake wig, all gone. And then with them, my ridiculously misguided hopes of having a surrogate big brother. And still, the events around Randy's sudden appearance and disappearance in the fall of 1982 were curious. But the fact that no one was talking openly about it bothered me even more. There were whispers around the house about Randy after that, but I was never privy to any of the real conversations. So one day, not too long after, I knocked on my sister's door. The sounds of goo-goo muck by the cramps floated underneath, infecting the rest of the house. What happened to Randy? I asked suddenly when she opened the door, flooding me with the voice of Lux Interior. I couldn't wait to get an answer, but I wasn't ready for the suddenness or the brevity of her response. His dad beat him for being gay, she started. He tried to go home, but it didn't work out, so he committed suicide. He hung himself. She finished, then she shut the door and went back to the cramps. And that was the last time anyone in our house ever spoke of Randy. After that, with the living room freed up, I was able to concentrate more and more on laser blast. It became quite an obsession for me. Sitting on the floor of the living room, looking up at the TV attached to the 2600, I attacked those little laser bases with my UFO with an intensity that I had never mustered before, and I don't quite recall having since. I redoubled my efforts, and soon hit the zone. It was able to get just past 100,000 points, and I convinced my mom to take a photo. I'm not sure why, but I never sent the picture to Activision to get a free patch. I do know this, however. It was the last time I ever worked so hard to get a high score on an Atari VCS game. Around the same time of the Randy incident, my sister helped my brother and I dress up for 50s day at Foster A. Bay Junior High. The 50s were big in the 80s, and with bands like the Stray Cats hitting the charts, our school embraced the era with full force. My sister obviously knew the scene inside and out, and she certainly knew what would work for 50s day, at least for one of us. I have a photo. It shows my brother Jeff with his ultra cool outsider come Fonzie dude amazing hairdo with a fake cigarette and an awesome black jacket. However, I'm in the picture too. I look like a bizarre 80s new wave reject with the John Cougar denim jacket who had no idea what to do with his right hand. I guess my sister ran out of ideas after she dressed up my brother, but no matter. It helped us fit in, at least for one day. In fact, Jeff pulled it off so well he actually won coolest hair at the 50s dance that night. It was one of our finest moments in junior high, as a twin collective that is. It was only a partial win though. I still recall the audible gasp from the pre-teen crowd in the big cafetorium when he won. A smattering of applause, but mostly stunned silence. It was shock that sucked the air right out of the room, 
The general question left in the air that night appeared to be this. A Fulton? How could a Fulton win anything? But one of us did. We might have been the weird family, but still, not totally hopeless, I guess. Well played, universe. Well played. The term Indian style was used in this story in context with the year 1981. Now it is called crisscross applesauce. Select. Watching. Reading. Playing. Start. Jeff is talking about ruining his pants. Oh! <laughs> I'm talking about playing watching reading i think that's what it is a watching playing read playing watching reading what are you playing what are you watching what are you reading jeff well for this see. is november this is going to come out right before thanksgiving for our special black friday thanksgiving episode i don't know actually when it's coming out but let's talk about playing watching reading sure so uh okay first you what are you playing these days it's Plain. november it's november it's 11th november. uh let's just say what i stuck in to the a machine last night uh-huh um is st games what st games i i uh i download lots of discs that i downloaded i like flying shark was the latest one i've been playing which flying, flying shark, shark. Is early vertically scrolling shoot 'em up Oh, cool. Incredibly difficult, so I'm looking for a cracked and trained version. But um, Flying Shark is is really good. It's got nice music and good sound effects. It's when good developers on the ST weren't trying to make Amiga games yet. They were trying to make games that were better than NES games. Oh, cool. And it works. Oh, good. Right? And good. so... And then also, Justin went... Last weekend, we found a new used video game store. And in that new used video game store, besides new video games... The new used video game stores in the Galleria, by the way. Oh yeah, but I've seen that, that place. Nothing, no you know what? I, you know, it's in the mall, and I just but, I tried to see stuff. It just seems like it's an overpriced with not enough okay, so selection. Steven, I do, I'm not a big fan of those types of stores. Steven changed my mind. Steven, who runs it, uh huh, is a really nice guy. Oh okay. So um, and I was able to get we were able to get FIFA 2019 because Justin wanted to play it. Uh huh. And then I also picked up a new. This is not a game, but this works with games. Uh I picked up a brand new HDMI converter from RCA to HDMI. Oh, I need one of those. This is the white one that I had. It was Uh 25 bucks. Uh, With there at at that place, right? Oh, cool. I should go get one of those. And he explained that, you know, the white one that I got (laughs) is like a drop shipper version. Right. But the one he has is heavy, and it works really heavy. I mean, it feels solid, and the signal that comes out of it is like five times better. So I have a new Vizio TV that I got this year. And it has only digital input. There's it, there's no analog input at all. Well, and it doesn't have doesn't have um, a component. I don't even think it has component. So even the component on my latest TV will not do will not do analog at all. Either. Yeah. So I need what I need although is although that's oxymoron because component is yeah. analog. But I mean it won't do RCA only. So I I want to hook up my eight my eight bit to my TV. You can have the white box that I have and test no, it out. No, I'll go get go, one of the okay. ones that works. There's awesome. And then, so that's what you're playing, playing right? Okay, what are you okay. playing? Steve? I am playing, still playing Pac-Man 256. My high score is now somewhere north of 31,000, which if you've never played Pac-Man 256 is, is pretty hard to get to. I mean, it's not like legendary. There's people like, I've seen like YouTube videos. I got 40,000 on Pac-Man 256, but it's good for me being an old dude who's trying to play Pac-Man 256 and loves it. I got Red Dead Redemption 2 for the PS4, which is really good, but it doesn't allow you to save anywhere in the first... I don't know how long people spend playing games these days, but I spent two hours getting through the first two missions, and the second mission, right at the end, I needed to 
pause the PlayStation to go eat dinner or something. And by the time I got back, the PlayStation had turned off. So I turn it back on and Red Redemption says that it'll save automatically for you or you can save manually. But when I went to go save manually, it w- it, it was grayed out because I guess it's part of the, this mission is part of the like introduction. So I came back and it makes me start this freaking mission over again. And I'm like, it took me an hour to get through it anyway. And there's long sequences in that game where you're like riding a horse and chasing people down. And like in this one, it was a really hard thing where you had to shoot some wolves and lasso a guy on a horse. It was just, and I'd figured out all these ways to get by it. I was really excited and I have to go back and do it again. And I'm, that's just not my thing. So that's playing. What are you watching? Oh, 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 the other thing, Tetris Effect came out. It's a brand new Tetris game. It's expensive. It's like 30 or 40 bucks. But apparently Tetris Effect is one of the best Tetris games made since I the original to Tetris. That. Is it on is it on PlayStation? Yeah. Yeah. I have PlayStation money. I am almost thinking Christmas. Like at this point in November, I get to the point where I, I want to wait till Christmas to play new games and get new games. That's cool. Yeah, even if I buy them myself. We, we got we actually purchased, you know a card to get a, a Switch membership just so I can play the NES games. Guess what we... And, and a joystick to play them. And I mean a joystick. An actual controller, to, a Switch controller to play them. Have not even put the code in yet. I may wait till, till Thanksgiving to do it. You know, I would say about the Switch. Uh, announcement came out last week about Atari Flashback Classics 3. The announcement came that it's coming, but no dates. But I looked at the release date for the Switch version, and right now it says January 2nd. Which to me is like... Why January 2nd? Why January 2nd? Like, I don't get it. So I think it's just they don't know when it's going to come out. Yeah, probably. It's not coming out for Christmas, what they're trying to say. I, I, that makes me sad, because that is. would be I a think, great well, I think game. trying to get all those games onto the Switch, emulated properly with the correct controls... Multiplayer, too. Multiplayer is a little bit more difficult well, than Well, good. They if they spend some time and making it good, that's, that's great. Okay, so, watching. Watching. Currently, we just finished 11-22-63, which is, which is about James Franco going back in time to try and stop the Kennedy assassination. How is that? It's good. Any, if you're interested in anything that has to do with time travel or history... Okay, I want to point out that I, I hate time travel. Okay. In sci-fi, time travel is the worst. This, this it's what, time why travel Harry is... Potter 3 is okay, so the worst this, book ever. Because this... Well, okay, I take it. So there's, it's not okay. a great book because okay. of time travel. Time travel. There's one wormhole that he can go through, and it's the, he can only go back to three years before the assassination takes place. No other time travel can okay. happen. Okay, I mean, that's... that's... <laughs> Decent, okay. I guess. It's but... a Stephen King story. Oh, okay, cool. And there's definitely like a lot of stuff that goes on besides that. When that does occur, uh-huh. there is a long denouement and a long retribution about what happens. So even if you, when you get to the point of the eight, eighth episode, if you are disappointed with what happened before, which I wasn't, it was good, but there's a long way of actually going back and fixing everything that happened. Like, it's a very good, good, well-made story, even though it's flawed. Well, that's cool. I am watching, I'm addicted to, the only real show that I that I watch every week now is Kidding with Jim Carrey on Showtime. And the final episode is this Sunday, and it proves to be spectacular. We'll I have think. to go with We're going to have to do, we have Showtime. It's not for the kids necessarily, Kidding, but it's a really interesting show about someone going through an immense amount of grief and how they deal with it. Wow. Um, and it's really, it's really good. So Jim Carrey plays a Mr. Rogers-like character who's one of his sons has died and he's not allowed to go through the grief that he needs to go through. And that's what the show is about. Wow. Well, so. speaking of grief, the f- latest um, 13 episodes of BoJack Horseman are so unique. Oh, really? And so you well done. You me to watch that, but I've not got to it yet. Um, it is it's it is Mad Men with animals and humans mixed into a world really? of, of of Hollywood. That's interesting. Okay, yes. wait, let's go. Reading. What reading, are you reading? Reading. I just received and pouring through Retro Tech, a little blue book that I don't have the author's name. The book's title is Retro Tech by the Nostalgia Nerd. It, it goes from the 2600 to all the way to the Xbox, and the, he explains, he, he was a guy who had an ST, so I, uh, I'm immediately pulled toward the book. Oh, that's cool. He doesn't give any extra coverage to the ST or anything like that. Every machine gets the exact same amount of coverage. 
He has eight bit Atari eight bits in there, seventy hundreds in there. Oh, cool. Um, even the Jaguars in there, but um, he takes he's like two. It's like four pages for each machine. He he gives the history of it. Help. He gives a couple reasons why you might like it and what was good about it, things like that. And then he gives a game that is incredibly impressive on the system. So a game you must see, and he talks about it. And then he gives a game that you must play. Oh, cool. And then he gives a game that you must avoid. <laughs> and um, for all the systems, so I've read through uh, a bunch of them so far, and it's very good. And Amazon got it to me for $14 hardcover. Oh, wow. And it's probably, I, I say three or 400 pages or something, maybe that, you know, whatever. Goes through 50 or 60 systems, three, I guess it's maybe, it's four pages for each one. So yeah, about 400 pages. Plus there's a good intro and a good section at the end that's about handheld consoles and then where we go from here. And it's so great. I'm not going to spoil it about where he says where awesome. we go from here. Meaning that you don't need another book. He doesn't need to ever write another oh, book. Oh, that's really cool. So it's really good. What about you? Um, I'm reading a book called Of Dyson Men. It came out about five years ago. And it is a memoir slash history of Dungeons and & Dragons. And it's really, really entertaining. Where do you find these? I want that. It's it's just I go to Amazon and I search for these. Yeah, I, I, I got to do that too. So, okay, that's playing watching, reading. Select Emily's favorite other podcasts. Start. Hey everybody, it's Bill from Atari Bytes. Have you ever wondered why Yar wanted revenge? How one becomes a frogger exactly? Why those robots in Berserk went, well, Berserk? Me too. On Atari Bytes, we do more than review the games. We dig deep to find the story of the characters within the games. If we know the actual story, we tell you that. If we don't know the story, which is more often the case, we make one up. Hopefully, to your amusement. And occasionally, to provoke a thought or two. So if this sounds interesting to you, I hope you'll check out Atari Bytes. B-Y-T-E-S. Wherever fine podcasts are sold for absolutely no money at all. Thanks. Select. Story mode. Start. Growing up, the four-day Thanksgiving weekend was pretty much a non-stop, play outside, watch TV, and eat lots of turkey time for Steve and I. We didn't have a lot of relatives that lived close, and not enough far away to make it a really big travel day. So except for one afternoon at our grandmother's house, it was pretty much a long weekend of fun. Baseball season ends right before Thanksgiving, and when we were kids, Steve and I were huge fans of the local teams, and we also played the game a lot. When we got through a little league age, we'd make up our own baseball games at our large driveway. Growing up in Southern California also meant that we had sun most days, never really any snow, not too much rain, and Thanksgiving weekend seemed to always be sunny and bright. By the time 1985 rolled around, we had had an Atari 800 for a few years. And while there were a lot of great RPG and strategy games for Steve to dig into, and awesome arcade games for me to while away my time on, there never really was a great baseball game. Until GameStar released Star League Baseball. This was the first sports computer game that made me not jealous of Mattel and Television Baseball. It was a great, fun computer game that was released for a number of computers at the time. One interesting thing about the game was that while you could not manage your team like today's sports simulations, you were given a choice of two pitching styles, either curves or heat, and two hitting styles, either sluggers or liners, and that was for your entire team. You could combine any of the two together, so you could be curves and sluggers, or curves and liners, or you could be heat and liners, or heat and sluggers but I always chose curves and liners. The combo of heat and sluggers meant that your pitchers had an array of fastballs and your batters always swung for the fences. This was supposed to be the easy mode. So if you set this as your strategy, you had a good chance to hit and pitch well against the computer. Curves and liners was supposed to be the furthest end of the spectrum. It was the hard mode. Pitchers that threw sliders and junk balls and hitters that went for average rather than home runs. 
I have no idea why the first one was considered easier and the latter was considered harder because from day one I chose curves and liners and after a month or so I was able to routinely beat the computer. It was always difficult to pry Steve away from Ultima 4 to get him to play a game of Star League with me, but when he did, we had a blast. Here's a little something that I wrote up about Thanksgiving 1985, when we had both Ultima 4, Star League Baseball, Sun, and a lot of time already. Four days in November, the driveway, a ball, a bat, a glove, a long driveway to craft our own game, two-person contests, pitch and take aim, a bat or a racket, firm in our hands, throwing and pitching and cranking grand slams, over the garage and into the imaginary stand, throwing, running, catching, batting, under the sun, Finding new games to play on our quiet suburban street. Two twin brothers in the mild ocean heat. A joy I wish every kid could repeat. In 1985, May Company still sold TVs and stereos on their third floor. They also sold computer games under glass behind a locked cabinet door. At 15, there were a few things I loved way down to my core. Music and girls, of course, but my Atari 800 and baseball, just as much or more. Four days in November, a year to remember. Thanksgiving week, my sophomore year. I need a game to start the holiday cheer. The later two came together one day at the Redondo Beach Mall. A colorful box filled with a game disc to beat them all. GameStar had released the best game of its kind, a three-quarter perspective masterpiece called Starly Baseball. Curves and liners, liners and curves. Hey computer batter, do you have the nerves? I chose to throw junk, hit singles run quick. Armed with a red button and an eight-way stick. Computer set to power and pitch, split finger fast. But there was no way this 6502 could beat my Sensible blast. Brought the box home, undid the shrink wrap. Opened it up, praying the game would not be crap. Took out the disc, unfurled the sleeve, unlatched the A10, and gestured at Steve. Hey Steve, I hope this game is as good as it looks. You've almost beaten Ultima 4 and read all the books, but I need a game. And not to sound bitter, but I want my avatar to throw a no-hitter. Loading, loading. Loading, title screen, blue sky, white fluffy clouds, a cool scoreboard, and lots of dots for a crowd. The music is slick, the options are cool. My option is game, my select is one player. So far I love it all. Press start and play ball. Then you choose a strategy for your team. Curves and liners, or heat and sluggers. 
I always chose curves and liners, liners and curves. Hey, batter, batter, do you have the nerves? Set the 800 at sluggers and heat. Throw pitches down low. Put that on repeat. To hit the computer, you swing the bat. Early is all. Watch your hit roll to the wall. Four days in November, a game to remember. Thanksgiving week, no school in the way. A time to get out and play. The computer was not my only ball foe because Steve loved the game more than Shoeless Joe. We'd go outside and throw the real ball, then come back in out of the fall. Pitching and scoring at a frantic pace, side by side with their twin. Now that's totally ace. Against Steve, I could not play the same way. We mixed it all up, and that was okay. A human was not as easy to beat. But it sure was fun to try, get out of the sun, and off of the street. But then Steve would go back to his Ultima 4. But when he tired, I'd pull my chair up once more. I'd sit down for a game against the CPU foe. I was always good for another fun go. I got so good, I never lost to the machine. 15 runs for me, but my pitcher's sheet was clean. Four days in November, a game to remember. Thanksgiving week, no school in the way. A time to get out and play. Curves and liners, liners and curves. Hey, batter, batter, you have the nerves to stand at the plate, ready to go. You'll miss my slider, way down and low. It doesn't matter, matter at all, because Star League was the absolute best. Baseball. Four days in November in a time to remember. Thanksgiving week in 1985. What a time to feel. Feel alive. Curves and liners. Liners and curves. Hey CPU batters, you have the nerves to get close to the plate and hit my curveball outside while my hitters take your fastball on a sensible ride. I chose to throw junk, hit singles run quick, armed with the red button and an eight-way stick. Curves and liners, liners and curves. Hey, pitcher, pitcher, do you have the nerves to play shallow right while swinging quick as my goal? I'll bloop a single right through the hole. Curves and liners, liners and curves. Hey, computer pitcher, you have the nerves to let my runners lead off a base. There are no relievers when I knock out your ace. Late 86, the 800 was sold to get an ST machine. On there, the baseball pickings were very lean. The 1632 was a blast. Many games that would last with discs filled with fun during the four days of November, the break from the California sun. Eventually the ST was boxed and put on a shelf. In years since, I've been wondering, is there a game to play all by myself? Now I boot up the 800 XL, pop in the cart and treat the computer to hell. His sluggers and heat, no match for my savvy and coy. It's baseball for certain, just like old Thanksgiving when I was a boy. Four days in November, today I remember that I could boot up GameStar from an Ultima cart. Curves and liners for the win, now that's a great start. Select Emily's favorite other podcasts. Start.
Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Thank you for listening to Into the Vertical Blank. Season 1. Episode 9. The Weird Family's Thanksgivings. In the Vertical Blank. Until next time. I'll be having tea and biscuits and thinking of you. Actually I'll be playing Fortnite under the gamer tag, Emily, Pwned, You. Into the Vertical Blank. Select. Podcast. Ending. Mode. Start. Thank you for making it all the way to the end of this episode. You certainly are a modern day hero. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production. Next frame calculated. Prepare to write new data. V blank ending.